Community Cats podcast. Ready? Let's go. Welcome to the Community Cats podcast. I am your host, Stacey LeBaron. I have been involved helping homeless cats for over 20 years with the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society. The goal of this podcast is to expose you to amazing people who are improving the lives of cats. I hope these interviews will help you learn how you can turn your passion for cats into action. Today, we're speaking with Dana Andreessen. Dana is currently the Executive Director of Feline Rescue, a St. Paul, Minnesota-based no-kill companion cat rescue organization. Feline Rescue provides rescue and relief to homeless and endangered cats in Minnesota through programs that offer shelter, foster, social and medical rehabilitation, feral and stray management, spay-neuter subsidy, and community education. Dana also has a wealth of experience from both the profit and nonprofit business worlds. From 2012 to 2015, she served as Executive Director of the Minnesota Spay-Neuter Assistance Program, an organization that subsidizes the affordable delivery of spay-neuter services. Before that, Dana was Director of Operations for Chuck and Don's Pet Food and Supplies, where she provided leadership for the regional chain. Her accomplishments there included improved financial performance, increased sales and profitability, and expansion of markets. Dana holds a Bachelor of Science degree in Business Management Finance from the Minnesota School of Business. The Minnesota native loves cats because they are intelligent, funny, entertaining, and amazing spiritual beings. Dana lives in Blaine, Minnesota with her husband, teenage daughter, and Kitty Curry, who is a 12-year-old tortie she got from Feline Rescue. Dana, I'd like to welcome you to the show. Thank you so much, Stace. I really appreciate the opportunity to chat with you. Yeah, it's very exciting. I can't believe you only have one cat. Is that really true? It's true. We At one point, my husband and I joked that we had the Brady Bunch because when we met, I had three cats and he had two. And then we kind of mashed them together and they just got along and they uh, they aged out. We lost them one by one because they. This was back in 1996 that we met, and we we brought in another cat when my daughter was two, and th- that cat lasted until last year. She she had kidney disease, and it was her time. And so we had taken in Curie as a foster and she was the downstairs cat and Blackie was the upstairs cat. And when Blackie passed away, Curie uh, took over the house. So she's not exactly uh, asking for any friends right now. So she's kind of a grandma cat. And I think uh, my husband is, is waiting until her time before we get other cats, but you never know. You never know. Right. Well, she's a tortie. So I am respectful of that. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> we all know how authorities are. Yeah, I only have uh, two cats, so I, I shouldn't I shouldn't say and at times I had six or seven cats at any given yeah. time. So I I do I understand that. So it's it's one of those one of those things as they do age out my I've got a 16 and a half year old cat and an 11 year old cat and you know it's hard mm-hmm. adding to that that crowd. Yeah. So it is anyway. So, Dana, tell me, you obviously have great passion for cats, but tell me a little bit about how you got involved in animal welfare. You went from business management and finance, you know, into the nonprofit animal welfare world. You had a little dip in the for-profit world, but tell me, tell me, how did you catch the bug? 
So I, my whole uh, adult life, I've been a cat lover and, and my mother always taught us, you know, you need to spay and neuter your cats. And, and it was our cats because we never had dogs, but I had the opportunity to wor- start working with Chuck and Don's Pet Food Outlet in 2000. And it was a, a pretty small organization and small audience as far as customers. And back when, I think it was 2005, when Hurricane Katrina happened, we had our customers asking us how they could help. And so we started a fundraiser and we we collected donations through our customers and then we matched at 25%. And we sent down, I think it was $11,000 to an organization that was kind of a clearinghouse for people who were finding pets. And they were operating out of one of the stadiums just outside of, um, oh gosh, I don't remember where. Uh, but we ended up sending down a bunch of leashes and, and some kennels and in addition to that. And they were able to utilize the majority of that money and, and then pass it on to the, the, uh, rescue, the actual humane society. And that just kind of started this process of, of fundraising and, and animal welfare, seeing what we could do as, you know, a, a pet related company where, you know, our goal is to help pets. And so we, we started our own fundraiser in 2008 called Pins for Pets. And the first year we raised $17,000, I believe. And the year I left Chuck and Don's, it was at around $95,000 we raised. And so that went towards spay neuter efforts of the local uh, animal rescues, and we just uh, utilized our our teams and our stores to decide which organizations to consider. And it was kind of a vote situation, and then we would choose an organization. The, today, they're they're still continuing these fundraisers, and they raise over a hundred thousand dollars twice a year um, during their summer fundraiser and their paw print fundraiser at Christmas. And those are all things that we started during my time there. We had a lot of great, passionate um, cat and dog lovers, and bringing in the animal welfare audience was huge. We used to have people who drive 20 miles just to come to a Chuck and Don's to get their food and stuff because of how much we supported the community. So that's what what really got me started. And then I met Dr. Kim from MinSnap through a pediatric spay neuter seminar I was invited to, and she was just forming the idea of Minnesota Spay Neuter Assistance Program. And I was just, I was amazed at her idea and just pediatric spay-neuter in general that there was a lot of information that supported it. And, you know, we see now 10 years later that that it really was accurate and is starting to make a real difference. But uh, I had the opportunity to join their board of directors in 2011. And at the time they were talking about hiring an executive director and that's that kind of, I just slid right into that. It was a perfect <laughs> perfect role for me. And, you know, I helped as, as the first executive director to, to get some systems and processes in place and, you know, get accounting processes in place and auditing. And, you know, we bought a building and, and they are now operating out of that building as their stationary clinic. And so it was a great experience and I learned a lot and I, I was able to continue the connections I had with local animal welfare organizations and I, you know, Feline Rescue was one of those organizations and um, we sponsored a lot of the events and I knew, I mean, there were still people on the board and still volunteers here that I had worked with when I worked at Chuck and Don's when I started here. So I, I if you would have asked me 10 years ago, if I'd, I'd be working in an animal rescue, <laughs> I would have 
told you you were crazy, but you know, it was uh, one day a friend of mine sent me an email and it had a link to the job posting for this job. And she, all she said was, I saw this and thought of you. <laughs> and so the the rest is kind of history. I, I interviewed and started and in, in April, it'll be three years and we've done, you know, quite a bit in that time. And we've had a, you know, a, a great growth and we're implementing systems now and, and I'm having a great time with, with cats. I got to see a lot of cats this morning. We had Ducky World with Yao Catnip came over to do a live Facebook and they they did some Santa delivery of some catnip toys to our shelter cats this morning. So that was a lot of fun. That is wonderful. So so diving into the feline rescue, tell me a bit about the organization. What are the programs that you offer and um you know what are the what are the goals and the challenges and the things that, that you're currently working on? So feline rescue, we have three programs. We have a, a shelter program and an actual physical shelter building. We have a foster program and an outreach program. And so our shelter and foster programs are uh, are the adoption programs that we run. And our outreach program is more geared towards, um, we have d- done and supported TNR in the past, but currently we're working a lot with cat retention efforts and, and donating food and subsidizing veterinary care to help people keep their cats with them. And we've done a lot of that. Year to date this year, we've subsidized 1,600 spay-neuter surgeries for other organizations as well as um, some of the owned pets locally here. Um, We have MinSnap come out twice a month, and the outreach program organizes this and staff so that when MinSnap comes out, we usually have uh, 10 or so spaces saved for our cats, which our cats will typically subsidize their, their fees. And MinSnap will do 30 or so surgeries that day. And we, you know, help to facilitate that spay-neuter, but also subsidize it around the state of Minnesota with this program. And so last year was 1,444, and this year we're just above 1,600, and we still have a month to go. So um, the outreach program is more of that arm that helps with educating and answering questions and connecting people to resources. And so our our buildings are focused on um we currently, I mentioned that we uh, did a strategic plan last year, and with that plan, one of our top priorities was bringing um, veterinary care on site. We had, over the 20 years we've been in operation, been heavily relying on veterinary partners, and, you know, that tends to get expensive even with discounting. And it's also a huge stressor for cats. As we all know, our cats just love to drive in the car. So, you know, imagine trying to transport your your cats, you know, 70 cats and then foster cats. We have 150 typically at one time. Um, getting all those cats to a vet was very challenging. And so um, this top priority, we, we've almost reached all of the goals with this. We have a veterinary director on staff. We have two veterinary staff, a a CVT and a vet assistant. And next week, they're going to start doing our our own dentals here, which we all know are very expensive if you go with an offsite vet partner. We'll be doing those ourselves. And then in January, we'll be working on a grant for surgical equipment. And towards the end of January, we'll be able to do our own surgeries on site. So we'll do some of our own spay neuters. We'll be able to do, you know, cyst removals and 
um, things like that, where they're not real um, intense or, or difficult surgeries. So we'll have a sterile surgery area. We already have our dental area set up. And then we also have two exam treatment and lab areas, one in each building that we own. And so our vet staff is able to do pretty much anything we might need that's typical for, for bringing a cat through our programs. And then we also are able to do some diagnostics and, and utilize vet partners for those things. But that's one of the, the challenges we've gone through in the past year is staffing that program, bringing those veterinary services on site. Um, you know, it is very difficult to find veterinary staff to work in a rescue environment. We didn't think it would be that difficult, but it is. So that that was one of the challenges. One of the things that continues to be a challenge is, is working to improve our systems and standards to support our mission growth. Um, technology is one of those things. Um, last year, we conducted a technology audit and, and started a plan to bring on board a, a technology consultant to work on what what type of software, what type of um, efficiency programs were we using, and what could we use to be more efficient, um, and you know bring our technology into you know the 20th century, let alone the 21st century. And we we switched our shelter management program this year, which we're still working out kinks with. We uh, started a new donor management program, so we have a better understanding and are starting to to use more donor information to um, retain donors and have a donor appreciation program, things like that. Some of the things we're still working on is inventory management. That's proven to be a pretty big challenge for us. We want to uh, have a better fundraising plan and and plan out further than just a year. Um, And we're also working on an effective and comprehensive emergency management plan. And then one of the top things we're working on and involving our volunteer force in is creating a communications plan so that we have, you know, some levels of staff meetings with each program. Um, Our program director is working on meeting with the, the shift leads in our shelter and then working with our foster leads in the foster program so that we have that one-on-one or group-on-one communication on a periodic basis rather than just that email or, or written communication. I think that's been one of our biggest challenges since I've been here is, is just that overall communication. So our, our volunteers are participating in that. Now that we're staffed, I'm working towards having a regular presence across the street at our shelter. We have the, the office building is across the street from our shelter, and I, in the past three weeks, I've visited each shift. We have 13 different shifts and been able to talk with volunteers as we've been implementing some of these changes. And, you know, there have been concerns and we've listened to the concerns and started, you know, trying to mitigate some of those things. And, you know, along with implementing this veterinary process, we've also switched our, our computer system and provided access to the team. So training people on a new computer system and, um, understanding how we can utilize that better rather than using paper. And that's that's been a, a bit of a, a rough transition. Um, we have quite a, a variety of volunteers and and while I'm talking about volunteers, I would I would have to tell you that you know, we would not be here if it weren't for our volunteers. There are some amazing people that started this organization. Um, they broke off from Animal Relief Fund in 1997 and they formed this feline rescue organization and have, you know, taken on a lot of responsibility and saved 
you know, we've saved over 10,000 cats in the, the time we've been operating. And that's in a, a pretty low volume start to last year, we um, took in over 1,200 cats and we adopted out 11, over 1,100. So, so those are some of the challenges that we've been, you know, working through and, and the staffing thing. I, I think we're pretty close to the, the end of that road and the, the light keeps getting bigger every day. Um, but, but now working through the rest of the strategic plan as we start that next plan going into the, the next three years is going to be real important for us. What an incredible list of things that you have to do and that you have done. It's really uh, amazing. And I've, I've wrote out this long, long list and I have talked about the importance of planning and I've written a couple of blog posts about trying to think about your fundraising plan, your operations plan. And I mean, we all have surprises. We certainly know that we're going to have a potential hoarding case come up or there's some colony situation or there's another uh, community something where you need to make sure you've you've gotten some involvement in a certain area and you have to do right. special community outreach in that area um but yet it's also really important to try and have a plan and and to try and stick to it and boy volunteer change volunteers are great and um, when i ran the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society we had at times upwards of 300 different volunteers and talk about communication issues and challenges and, and that kind of thing. And some people like meeting in person. Some people like emails. Some people like text, you know, and some people like right. Facebook. And so there's so many different types of communication out there. If you just sort of say, well, I like this type of communication. We're going to do it this way without gathering feedback from everybody. It gets very challenging and can get kind of Absolutely. stressful. So you really have to listen, I would say, you know, from both sides, making sure you're listening to your volunteers and the other staff members. And so communication is give and take. It's not just pushing out information, but it's working together as a group. And it's great that you're touching base with all of the different shifts and stuff. Can I, can I ask you, are you the first executive director or have there been other executive directors for Feline Rescue? I am the first. I am the first. And, you know, I think anybody would say, because I, I've been the first at another organization, you you kind of don't know what you're getting into. You think you know, but you, you don't know what you're getting into. And, and you know, I think the what we have tried, you know, very hard to do is to include our volunteers in our forward plan. And, and you know, one of the things that we did for the strategic plan is, first of all, we hired a, an organization to walk us through this process because I think some organizations try to do it themselves. And unless you have somebody with that background and expertise, you're not going to get that final product that you really need. And so we hired an organization and, and we held listening sessions and we tried to form it for like each program so that it could be more focused for their program. But the way that this gal formatted those listening sessions was to ask questions in the way you would do a, a SWOT analysis so that the the answers and the aggregated data she was able to do from these three listening sessions, she was able to put forth what are what are the strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats this organization faces. And then we also did an online survey and, and we, you know, each of those sessions, there were at least, you know, 25, 30 volunteers that attended and the survey, I think we ended up with about 80 responses and, you know, 80 out of 350, 400 volunteers. 
at the time. I, I think we had a pretty decent uh, response rate. And she, again, had put the questions in the manner of a SWOT analysis. And so when the board and I and a couple key volunteers got together to do this retreat and put together the strategic plan, we did our SWOT first. And what we found was everything we had listed as priorities were listed by our volunteers through those two ways, the online survey and the listening sessions. And so everything that is on the strategic plan came from volunteers. And while we might have have fleshed it out a little bit more, the lead individual priorities and then each of the strategies under that are all, they all came from volunteers and had volunteer input. And it gets harder and harder these days. Just the the time we're in is we have a lot of volunteers that they remember when there weren't computers. They remember when there was no Facebook and and when they had to use paper and they had to mail stuff. And we have a lot of of donors who they just want to get something in the mail a couple times a year. And then you've got some volunteers who are, are on the cusp of that change and they've been riding it ever since. And then you've got millennials. And so we have this very big variety of volunteers and you know, that's, that has made for some challenges because you, you not only have a, a lot of volunteers, you have a, a very diverse um, methodology for communication that each of those audiences like or works best with. And, you know, when you're only one person, when I started, I was it. That was it. We had no, we had a part-time facilities manager. And so trying to meet some of those needs without totally understanding the operations yet it was it was a challenge. I spent a lot of time interviewing volunteers that had similar roles and I I tracked all of that on an Excel document so I was able to pull out some of the priorities even from that. But uh you know it's been a, a challenge over the last three years but it's also been, you know, we've been able to to continue moving forward. A lot of volunteers have participated in and provided feedback and ideas. And we've ran with, with some of those things. And, you know, there, we still have a lot of volunteers here that, that were here when we started 20 years ago. We still have shift leads at our, our shelter who they've worked that same shift for 20 years. It's, it's amazing some of the longevity we have. But we, uh, we are who we are because of our volunteers. And, you know, we, we expect to continue with this process. Yeah, we have some of the same volunteers that are continue to be there. We moved from one facility to another facility, and they came along, and uh, it is amazing the uh, commitment that you see from from folks with regards to those cats, and they want to come in every Wednesday morning and do their thing and feel good, and they do feel good, and we feel good, and it's, it's it's all great, but, you know, as cleaning protocols change and different things happen and you have to change a process, that sometimes can also be somewhat challenging and and take some time to happen. Today's episode is sponsored by Space Kitty Express, your one-stop shop for exotic cat drugs. Everyone's heard of catnip, but what about valerian root, tatarian honeysuckle, or silver vine? Space Kitty Express specializes in offering these hard-to-find catnip alternatives, both in their herbal form and stuffed into a variety of reusable toys. Their herbs are 100% pure, not like those quote-unquote catnip blends you might find in a pet store. Their tartarian honeysuckle wood is cut fresh and kept frozen to lock in its citrusy scent. Their silver vine exudes a mintiness that tingles the nostrils. Their organic valerian root is so musky that they've had to blend it with organic lemongrass so that human noses can tolerate it. 
Cats can definitely tell the difference between these quality herbs and that stale catnip from the big box store. Visit SpaceKittyExpress.com and watch videos from satisfied feline customers. Use coupon code COMMUNITYCATS, all one word, at checkout to receive 10% off your purchase. That's SpaceKittyExpress.com with coupon code COMMUNITYCATS. Doesn't your cat deserve the best? Spoil them today at SpaceKittyExpress.com. <coughs> Provet Logic, based in Scottsboro, Alabama, provides educational support and product solutions to professional pet care providers and pet parents throughout the country. As a licensed veterinary medical continuing education provider, Provet Logic provides a variety of educational tools designed to help cat care providers create a cleaner and safer environment for both the cats in their care and the care providers. To learn more about Provet Logic, please visit www.provetlogic.com or call 800-869-4789. Since you are the executive director, I would love to ask you a couple of questions about the board of directors. How large is your board of directors and how do you work with them? Uh, we have a board right now of eight and our our bylaws have a range from five to 12 and we are working towards um, nominating additional board members. I think our board in the past when I first started, the board was very hands-on board and very operational board. And over the past few years, they've worked to transition to more of a governing board and to let the staff that we have now actually take the operations and deal with the operations. We've, we've kind of done a modified process of just ensuring that the board manages the, the overall organizational policies and standards and board meetings are about the organizational process and governance versus talking about, you know, in the past it was talking about individual cats at times. And so the the board, you know, we meet monthly. Um, I do an update. You know, we've had our rough spots during some of the times where there were a lot of changes going on and, and some volunteer unrest because of a lot of changes. And so there's been a little bit of uh, bumps along the road, but the board's been, the board's always been very supportive and, you know, we've uh, adopted the ASV standards of care and the five freedoms, and I think that's given us a very solid footing on on which to base a lot of what's going on, and that's helped everybody, and it's helped my relationship working with the board. You know, we're working on our, our budgeting for next year, and our our development committee is going to be helping us flesh out a, a better and a more comprehensive fundraising plan for next year to, to ensure we're able to meet our goals. So I think overall we have some some board members with very diverse backgrounds and because of that they're able to contribute in different ways and not necessarily in a program sense but more, you know, finance background. We have a CPA on our board, we have an attorney on our board, we have an HR person on our board and so we have some of those things that they're able to contribute but still build that governing piece. Do you have uh, term limits? We do. We have three-year limits, and then a board member can serve up to 10 years. So basically, they can serve three terms. And board members cycle off. Actually, board members tend to cycle off before that three, third term. And we now have, I think, about a, it's about even with board members that been, have been on a couple terms and then newer board members that have been here about a year to two years. So there's a really good mix of board members who have a history and understand the organization and how it was versus where we need to go. 
and then newer board members that have a better understanding of, you know, governance and where we need to move forward to. Do you have a, like a protocol, like a board member orientation or an onboarding process for new board members? That's something we're actually working on. We, we had a board retreat in November and we identified the first half of the day was the board. And then the second half of the day, we had staff and some key volunteers come in during the first part of the day. That those are some of the things that we identified that were still on our to-do list. And so we're working on a board orientation process and that's going to be, you know, the, the basic draft of that will be presented at our January board meeting. And then we'll actually utilize that. There was a, a rather loose, orientation process we we would use in the past. And so this will put this more into an, uh, a standard, a checklist process as board, new board members come on. With regards to the board of directors getting acclimated to having staff members, multiple staff members, larger staff, these are some of the questions. And we were talking a little bit before we started um, the interview about how you know, a lot of the organizations, once they hit that 20-year point, that's like make or break because there's a lot of turnover in management and, you know, your organization's usually gotten to a certain growth point where it's going to need a different kind of support than it had in its first 10 to 15 years. And these are a lot of the questions that I get from organizations that I would say sort of at that intermediate point, sort of a, a you know, a turning point, they've got to decide way the organization is going to go and and sort of evaluate what sort of resources they have within their community to be able to support growth or just even maintaining the organization, you know, over the next next several years. And I can't talk about that without talking about money and fundraising. Obviously, you're a great fundraiser based on the efforts that you did with Chuck and Don's pet food and supplies. That was just, that sounds like some tremendous numbers there with the fundraising that you were able to get started there. How much of your time has been involved with fundraising versus handling the operational issues that you're challenged with? I think not enough is how I would put it. <laughs> I, I have, I've worked with some of the event planning and some of the campaigns and some of the promotion of those things. This year is my year to start reaching out to individual donors and start working more closely and having development activities be much more of my schedule. You know, what you were just talking about with, with volunteer turnover and those types of things, you know, we have seen all that. And, and I think one thing that is very difficult for people to understand is when you're operating, helping, whether it's cats or dogs, you're helping a hundred a year and you have a system that works. You know, 20 years later, when you're helping 1,200 and you're still trying to use that same system, it doesn't work. And that's where I found myself. We had very similar people in the same roles. Some of these these volunteers have been doing the same thing for 20 years. And you have people who are very committed and very passionate and have done a great job managing their silo of the organization. And now someone's here and needs to know how it runs and needs to have input. And we need to put in systems to be able to manage the volume increase. And that's where a lot of those challenges come in. And and some of the volunteers had to make a decision that it wasn't working for them anymore. And some volunteers are very much better fitted to smaller organizations where there is that autonomy in, in a certain sense. And so that the, some of those challenges really took a lot of my time in the first couple of years. And 
So moving towards the end of this year, we've talked a lot about what are some of the things that we can do to build up more of a fundraising plan and also look at it long term so that we can have some of these long term goals and then each year see how we're moving towards those long term goals. And we have some plans in January to have our committee um, actually hammer this stuff out early in the month so that this year we have a, a solid plan and that that we can move into the next several years with that that plan in place. And things like calling donors and, and just calling and thanking donors and meeting with donors and, and talking to them about our organization and what we do and, and working with donors to be able to uh, move a $25 donor to a $50 donor and, and working with maybe some of the larger donors to help us identify matches for some of our uh, campaigns during the year. So we've had some, some very successful events and we've, I, you know, what I see from the time I've started here, while I haven't done a lot with individual donor activity, what I have been able to do is bring on additional new donors. We've had a lot of new donors since I started. And I think a big part of that is some of the, the events we've done have drawn new donors. We uh, had a, an event with a microbrewery. I had somebody just call me out of the blue and ask if we wanted to do an event with them. They had done, a, they called it Pints and Pups. And they wanted to do a Pints and Purrs with us. And so we met with them and we kind of hammered out, you know, talked about, brainstormed, what could we do for event segments at that event to be able to draw in, in attention and uh, an audience to buy beer because they were going to donate a percentage of the beer sales that day. And we also wanted to have segments that would raise money. And so we're, we talked about, you know, we should have like a kitten therapy. And so we worked out this process to have kitten therapy and it's evolved over the last couple of years, but you know, that brings in 500 to $1,000. And then we did a video fashion show with cats. We want to do a fashion show, but cats aren't like dogs. So um, we, we've done a video fashion show each year, and that's raised about $1,000 as well. We're like, well, how do we raise money from this? Okay, you vote with your dollars. Vote for your cat. We have 12 kittens. And then the kitten that wins with the most votes, raises the most money, gets to be our uh, marketing representative, our, our spokes cat the next year. And, and so we're in our third year of folks cat. But those are some of the fun things that we've been able to do. And we have some videos for that, you know, so that you can actually see those things and how much fun you can have with with this type of a nonprofit. And, you know, people love to, to help cats, love to help animals. And that's something that, you know, we have in common with our, our donor base. So those are some of the things that we can can discuss and help to engage to, to keep them with us for the future. Right. And also to understand that, you know, to work with new and interesting ideas when you're developing a fundraising plan, it may not be the same plan year after year because you don't want your right. events to be stale. So you shouldn't be scared to sort of say, you know what, we've done this for five years or we've done this for three years and it just, it either isn't picking up steam or it's not, you know, it's just not serving its purpose or it's more work than it's worth, but it, it's okay right. to, to change things around. Um, and sometimes I think people with operational plans as well as fundraising plans, it's like, well, what do we do? We just sort of recycle it each year, you know, and, um, yeah. and I've certainly, I can, I can even vouch for the fact that I sort of did that many years because it was just, you're so busy and you're so just running around and being um, reactive to things that you just want to kind of right. quickly replicate stuff. And, and I'll say, honestly, for me, meeting with a board of directors on a monthly basis, I felt that it was 
very challenging to always feel like I was prepared for every meeting. I was getting enough oh, done gosh. for that meeting. Absolutely. Like once you're, once you're done, you're like preparing for the next one. And there's right in the middle to get the stuff done. So I, I have had monthly board meetings with then even executive committee meetings monthly, also on off weeks, which was really kind of really crazy busy to then moving to more quarterly board meetings. But then I really should have promised some email communications on a monthly basis with the board to help keep them engaged because you also don't want to lose engagement with your board of directors either. So there's this really fine balance about working with your board as well as being able to keep the right balance based on the resources that you have available to you to be able to assist with managing the board as well as managing the organization. And I find that is a really, really fancy dance. Absolutely. All of the things you just said, I, I'm like, is there anybody out there that understands what I do every day? <laughs> because I, you know, what you say, you, you have a meeting and you feel like you're already trying to get ready for the next one. And, you know, you, you marry that whole process of you're working with the board and then you're supposed to spend X amount of time with the volunteer base and make sure that you're hearing feedback and you're answering questions and then you're supposed to have so much time with donor base and it's like okay how do you get all this stuff done when you're one person and that is a it's a big challenge and I not, not that it's nice to hear other people go through that but it is it's good to know that there, there are other people that you can talk with and and you can share ideas and, and figure out some things that might work to to be able to you know mitigate your busy busy days that you, you don't ever feel like you have a break. Right. No, I, I agree. I, I could go on all day talking about this kind of the organizational challenges, considering I've sort of I've lived them, too. But I have a question. I want to go back to the number of cats that you assist every year that you take in every year. I believe you said the number was around twelve hundred. Um, Correct. And are those owner surrenders or are they just community cats or, you know, how are you sourcing the cats that come through your adoption program? We do not take owner surrenders. That's been part. Of, that's been our mission ever since we started. We help uh, abused, abandoned stray cats. So those are are either cats who are found by somebody and they're brought in, or uh, we we work a great deal with local animal control agencies. So I guess you could say, in a way, we do at times have owner surrenders because a lot of the cats we take from animal controls are owner surrenders, or uh, they've been confiscated. I, I think last year, about 50% of the cats that we took in total were through animal control agencies. So we work with Minneapolis Animal Control, St. Paul Animal Control, and several suburb animal controls. And we get their weekly emails of the cats that will be euthanized if they're not picked up by a partner rescue. We work with Animal Humane Society. We have a a great partnership with them and um, have pulled quite a few cats over the years from their, their list and um, so that's, it's a matter of, I, I think the way our intake coordinator put it is that, you know, prior to about three, four years ago, we were full with just the cats that people found and, and found under their porch or found a cat that got hit by a car in the street, those kind of things. But what we found is once the volume started increasing, we, were, we had more resources to help more cats. We were going to the animal controls to look for cats that we could help. And, and seeing the lists each week and, and then being able to help additional cats that way. And that's just kind of taken off the last couple of years. And so in those numbers, we help a significant number of cats who have health issues. Right now we have five diabetic cats in our foster program. 
Um, we have a cat in our shelter. She's the office cat right now, and she I think she has a, a visit, and we're very hopeful that she's going to be adopted this weekend. She had a, a bladder stone, and we had a cat that had some type of hernia where all of the organs start coming from the stomach up into the chest cavity, and that was actually corrected, and she's doing great now. So we have a lot of cats that will do significant medical care to help them and get them adopted. I I think the way a lot of our volunteers have seen things over the years is that we take a lot of the cats that no one else will take. We've got some behavior challenged cats. We have a great uh, gal that works with enrichment and placement, and she does a great job assessing our cats and finding and identifying the characteristics that will work with an adopter um, in order for us to actually match them up. So we do help a significant amount of cats that come off the street, and then the other half come from the animal controls. So, Dana, if folks are interested in finding out more about feline rescue uh, or reaching out to you with any questions, how would they do that? Best way is to go to our website, felinerescue.org. To reach me, you can just send an email to info at felinerescue.org, and our admins are great at forwarding those on to me. So our website has some great information, and you can see all of our adoptable cats. You can make a donation. You can get more information. You can volunteer. Lots of ways to get involved. And is there anything else you'd want to share with our listeners today? You know, one of the things I just wanted to throw out there is, you know, we're in Minnesota and it's not the most warm climate this time of year. And I know a lot of people worry about TNR in this type of a climate. And I'll tell you that the cats here are pretty resilient and supporting those TNR efforts have made a huge difference over the years. I've seen Minsnap has spayed and neutered uh, over 100,000 cats since they started. And I think that's part of how we're seeing a little bit of a reduction in cats here. And some of the organizations are actually bringing in cats parts of the year. So cats here are able to find shelter and we have a lot of, of teams out there that support colonies and make the the feral cat homes and community cat homes and feed them and provide medical care where needed. So we we take care of our community and feral colonies here in Minnesota. Dana, I'd like to thank you again for agreeing to be a guest on my show, and I hope we'll have you on again in the future, maybe once all of these plans on your to-do list are, are completed. I, I would love to see what a tech audit is. That's I've got a, that's big, big letters, and because and, uh, I think there are a lot of organizations who could really utilize a template on how to do a tech audit. So, uh, But there's so many other things here. This was a fascinating con- conversation, and I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Stacey. Happy to come anytime, and we really appreciate the opportunity to chat. Thank you for listening to the Community Cats Podcast. I would really appreciate it if you would go to iTunes and leave a review of the show. It will help spread the word to help more community cats. 